Welcome to Airtime, a podcast by Elevate Aviation, exploring all things aviation with a focus on the people inside the industry and their careers. Here is your host and podcast producer, Kendra Kincaid. And welcome, welcome to In the Jump Seat, a webinar brought to you by Elevate Aviation. Uh, Elevate Aviation, if you don't know by now, you probably do, Elevate Aviation is the not profit organization trying to get more women into aviation, uh, but we certainly don't turn anyone away. So we've been having a lot of fun with uh, the men that are coming in and joining us, either helping us as mentors or becoming mentees that we're helping getting into the industry. Uh, even though the industry's on a bit of a pause right now, we know that uh, we are still looking forward to the future when we're back up and running and getting more people in the industry again. Um, we do have some good news with Elevate Aviation. We are taking our Elevate Aviation Learning Center online. Uh, so if you want to know more about that, contact us at info at elevateaviation.ca and uh, maybe sign up and we'll put you on a wait list for the first people to, to know about uh, when we're ready to go with that learning center online. So instead of just reaching people in person here in Alberta, we'll be able to reach people all over the world and showcase amazing aviation careers like the one we're going to showcase today uh wow we have an incredible guest on today i have been so excited about this guest and i just love this lady um she's also going to be featured in our documentary that we're making uh, so you'll get to know her even more when you see that <laughs> um i've been so excited for you to meet her she is an aerospace engineer she used to work on the f-18s and now she works on a robotic space arm that's going to clean junk in space. Um, I didn't realize until not that long ago that we're, we're kind of polluting space. So let's ask Marla more about that. I don't want to talk on that. Um, she's the expert here, so we'll talk to her. So <laughs> as always, please be involved, ask questions. Uh, we'll try to get to them. Uh, sit back, relax, and we hope that listening to Marla will provide you with some inspiration uh, or motivation, and maybe it'll maybe you can take something away to implement in your own life, uh, in your own way to accomplish your own dreams. So please, uh, without further ado, good morning, Marla. Hello, Kendra, and everyone else out there. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, I, so when I first met you, um, you know, I met you through Elevate and, uh, when I first met you and I found out what you were doing, I was just like, what, <laughs> what can you, can you break that down and explain to me a little bit and like the air force job or the now job, just the now job when you were talking about, okay. you know, you're, you're working in space. And then the first time I talked to you, you actually, um, connected to some robots from your house in Cold Lake. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, up until January, I was an aerospace engineer in the military, and my job before that was doing operational test and eval on the F-18. Um, I've always loved space, and I've always, that's always been my calling, I think. And last summer, actually, I noticed that um, a company called MDA, they're in Toronto, they were doing some mass hiring for engineers, for even technicians to come in and build um, some of our hardware. So I applied, um, I got the job, and then I started that job in January. So I've only been doing space robotics since January. Um, the 
big project I'm working on right now. It's called SPIDER, which stands for uh, Space Infrastructure Dexterous Robot. And we specifically are doing the, um, the end effector. So that's the hand of the robot. Um, what's cool about space and space technology is it's, it's a big team working to make this super complicated structure. So our small team in Toronto, in Brampton specifically, we're just doing the end effector, the targets that a robot needs to see, and the grapple fixtures that can be mounted on other spacecraft um, to manipulate it. Um, another company down in California is doing the rest of the arm. And then there's another company that's building um, the actual spacecraft bus. So you could think of that as like, if you were to translate this to aviation, you have the aircraft, but then there's what goes on the aircraft. So for like fighter jets, you have all of the weapons that go on. It's like we're designing just the weapon. Someone else is designing the rest of the aircraft. Um, okay. And it's just how you use it. So yeah, I think it's super cool because it's there's so many connections between how we do things in space. And if you look at the history of how we got to space, it all stems back to aviation. And that oh makes me excited. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna dive into that even more. But first I wanna I wanna talk about um the history of you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what like I'm always curious when I hear someone like you, um, I'm assuming this is male dominated. It's you're into the science part of STEM and um, I'm always curious, how did you get there? Can can we talk about little yeah. little girl Marla? Like, like <laughs> Yeah, so um so I grew up in Sudbury, Ontario, and a fun fact about Sudbury, Sudbury is actually a meteorite crater. And because of that, there's lots of nickel and mining in the industry there. So if you are a kid that grew up in Sudbury, you learn about rocks, you learn about the regreening of Sudbury, which because of the way they mined, they basically killed off all the trees. Um, so you learn about the environment. And then because it was a meteorite crater, you learn about space. So as a kid, we'd go to the science center and I like to think most kids growing up in Sudbury, you either get into rocks, you either get rid into the environment or you either become interested in space. And I have three sisters and it's just kind of interesting because I do space robotics now. My older sister has a PhD in geology and then my younger sister is a biologist. So we're kind of like the Sudbury science trifecta. Um, we went to an all girls high school. So from grade seven to grade 12, it was all girls. And that school was awesome because like nobody really cared if you were into science or if you were into math or it was just all about kind of being the best human that you can be and finding what you're interested in. And then the other thing that was really important to all of us growing up was we were all in Girl Guides. I'm still a Girl Guide leader. I noticed actually a couple of the girls who are in my unit um, here in Cold Lake, I see them on the attendance list. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so I think through Girl Guides, and through being in kind of an all-female environment where you never really felt judged, um, kind of my entire life, that kind of really made it seem okay to go into something that there's not a lot of women. Um, I remember like working on badges and girl guides, they have you research like women who are in fields that you're interested in. And it's not, there's not a lot of well-known female 
engineers out there or female aerospace engineers out there. So I know one thing when like Elevate tries to talk about mentorship and why do we do mentorship and why do we promote women in aviation? It's so that, you know, little Marla's or little girls growing up today, they can see that, hey, it's okay to want to do something in STEM to become an engineer or to do something in aviation or to join the military. So yeah, yeah. So that's that's me growing up. So now I'm also always curious about parenting. So what was the role with your parents in your life? Were they a great role model for you? Did they encourage this? I think, yeah, I saw that question that you sent yesterday and I'm like, geez, I don't, I actually had to think on that. I, my parents are awesome. They never really told us we couldn't be anything. Um, when I was really young, I would say, oh, I want to be an astronaut. My mom would joke, well, I'm not going to sign the permission form for that. So I thought, oh, well, if my mom's not going to sign the permission form, then uh, what else am I interested in? Um, yeah, and I guess, I guess the most influence my mom had on me um, was... When I was in grade 12 trying to figure out what to study, I thought, well, if I find something that I like, then, or something that's like been with me throughout my life, then I'll find happiness doing that. And I was in the basement of our house and um, our mom had this box from when she was a kid of all these scrapbooks that she made from 4-H club. Um, And there were scrapbooks on like cooking and home economics stuff. And my mom went on to become a home economics teacher. So after finding my box of this box of my mom's childhood things, I went up to my room and it was just space stuff everywhere. And I said, well, I guess I better do something with space. Um, and then that's kind of how I decided to go the aerospace engineering route. So I kind of don't want to ask this next question, but I'm going to. Um, it's, it's referenced when you were saying you go to an all-female school, so you think you didn't have a certain maybe judgment about what you could do and can't do. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Like, do you, do you think that that is actually a real thing that, that girls, little girls are, don't live up to their full potential because they're feeling judged? I think like, I'm just thinking to having some of the work I've done with girl guides. Um, when we have discussions, especially with the older youth about like, okay, well, why why not do science why not do this a lot of it's it's either they didn't know because they haven't seen uh women in it or they don't want to be kind of the odd one out in that like grade 12 math or computer class by being the only girl um so part of it is just building up that self-confidence like if you are i don't know if you stick out and this was something i felt like when i worked on the fighter squadron i was the only lady in a flight suit and that sometimes you felt kind of lonely by being the only one um but then there comes a period of time where you kind of get over that and then nobody really cares about gender nobody really cares about differences because you're all kind of there to do a job so yeah it's kind of it's kind of tough i think the the high school that i went to um marymount it's called up in sudbury um Every, it was just super encouraging and everyone was like, you were just encouraged to be the best that you can be and to go out there and push yourself and challenge yourself. So um, I think that helped a lot kind of combat some of that self-doubt that sometimes comes up. 
Is there um, a recommendation? So for with people with, with children now who are watching this, little girls and boys and, and young men and women, and what do you think would be a recommendation that you could do as a parent to really try to instill that self-confidence in, oh, and I see this, look, I didn't realize you could see it in here. Oh, this, yes. This, this, this is the representation of that, that horrible voice inside my head. That, that, that oh, yes. Um, I didn't really see, I'm going to move her a little bit more. She was watching, she's watching us in case I see something wrong. Um, that's good. But, but you know, so that, that's something I always encourage people. I always kind of say, you know, be careful of those thoughts inside your head and, and recognize that. Like, do you have advice for really encouraging self-esteem in other young girls? Or so, so I have a four-year-old daughter. And then one of the things I always tell her is can't is a swear word. Oh. So she was trying to ride her bike without training wheels for the first time on the weekend. And she said, first, I can't do it. I said, don't say can't. And then she just went and did it. So um, I think that for me stands out as one of the best pieces of advice. Wow. Okay. That is great advice. Um, we have a question here, uh, an offshoot of the question I asked. It said, um, it's great about your parents. It's awesome that they're supportive. What about um, any other mentor or successful person who encouraged you? Like, is there someone else that you consider a mentor in your life? And do you think having a mentor is important? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 100% mentorship is, that is what will get you to where you want to be and will get you out of a hard spot. So when I was first thinking of joining the military, um, there was another woman from Sudbury. Her name is Megan McGrath. And she was just finishing, she just joined the military as an aerospace engineer. So I actually reached out to her, sent her an email. And then for the first three or four years of my career, she was kind of my sounding board whenever I was uncertain about something or was actually going through a rough spot. Um, just having that other same person to kind of bounce ideas off um, really helped keep me on track and keep me encouraged and focused. Um, and then there's a couple of times where just things weren't working out and she gave me this great advice and um, yeah, because she also had issues sometimes just she would have a goal and then the military would put up a roadblock or something but she told me just pick and choose your battles and focus on where you want to go and then that kind of gives you the peace to just if something isn't working out just to let it go move on go pick a different battle that you want to deal with so um and I've kind of changed like I kind of lost touch with her and then just throughout my career I would always just find somebody to kind of be that safe sounding board to uh, go and um, yeah just go to if I needed another uh, train of thought on things so yeah it's Megan great. was definitely one of the first ones and then now um, yeah I don't really know who it would be now I'm just always a people person so I'm I'm not really um, I'm not really scared to go like if something doesn't feel right or if I have a question like I might go back to some of the the ladies I studied in university with and be like hey what would you do with this or at work um if we're having like a problem I'll be like oh I remember this friend of mine from like years ago they're working on this now and I'll reach out to them so I think mentorship and networking go hand in hand 
It's really yeah. nice to hear that from you because some people feel like they have to do everything on their own. They can't ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, and so, to, you know, that, that's why it's so nice to hear people like you who are successful in their careers say, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. And I think, and I think the being afraid of asking for help, that's something I think that's really common. I know when I started my new job, um, Yes, I did a degree in space systems design, but I've been working in the aviation world for the past 10 years. So there's things that I learned 10 years ago that I, I don't remember because I haven't been doing it. So I've had to time and time again, go and kind of shamelessly ask my coworkers, hey, how do you do this? Or can you help get me up to speed? And it's at first I'm really nervous about doing it, but then after I just asked the question, they they really, they just want, as now that I'm part of this new team, they want me to succeed so we can all make this project succeed. So I think that's another important thing is um, don't be afraid to ask the help. Yes, it's kind of nerve wracking and you do have those self doubts, but generally people want to help you more times than not. So. Yeah. So too. Okay, well, that's going to move us into our second portion here, where we move more into your career. So you were in this all-girls school and mm -hmm. thought, I don't, you know, I want to work with some men now. <laughs> like, okay, what took you into the military? Like, was that was it the military right after high school? Like, tell us about your journey so that we can kind of get to where you are today and really start talking about that that firm sure. you're working on. Yeah, sure. So I. Um, yeah, so as I said, went to an all-girls high school. Um, there was 80 girls in my graduating class. Three of us went into engineering, which is um, the program I took. I remember first year, like counting the people in the class. Uh, there was like 120 people in the class and 10 girls. All of the girls knew each other and we became really, really great friends. Um, yes, so that was kind of a big change. And then for the military, um, it kind of got to some like self-reflection on, okay, well, now that I'm in engineering, like what jobs are out there um, as an aerospace engineer? And you could go and work for an airline and work in aviation, but just from looking into it a bit more, it seemed like that would not be as rewarding um, at the time because it was very focused on business, making money, get things done, doing the same sort of thing over and over. And that wasn't really appealing um, to me at the time. I kind of wanted to make change and do something for others. So the military seemed like a great way to do that, um, even though it kind of terrified me because when you first think of military, you think of like guns and war, and that totally was not me. But they had this thing called search and rescue. So when I joined the military, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do search and rescue. I'm going to be an engineer on these search and rescue planes. And that's going to get me into the space field because if you research a lot of the bios, for example, the two astronauts who are going up today uh, with the SpaceX launch, they both had military engineering backgrounds. And that seemed like a good way to, um, like just if other, back to kind of, okay, well, my mom was interested into home economics and she made a successful career as a home economics teacher. If all these astronauts and successful people in space had the military background, maybe that will help me too. So my original plan was to, okay, I'm gonna do aerospace engineering. The program I did had a space system design specialization, which really, really interested me. Um, and then I'm gonna join the military and the military actually covered um, my tuition 
for university through their regular officer training plan. And my goal was to do search and rescue, to be an aerospace engineer on search and rescue aircraft. That isn't exactly what happened. So my first training was out in Comox working with the Aurora aircraft and they were actually back up to the search and rescue out there. So that was actually really cool and really rewarding. And then after my trades course, um, it kind of took me down a path that I didn't really, it was just not me and I did not enjoy so much um, just because I don't know, it's hard to find something in that job that I was passionate about. So um, that was in Winnipeg working with Dash 8 aircraft that do the training for the air uh, combat systems operators in the military. And for that job, I was specifically just dealing with software rollout. Um, and I'm not a software person, so it was kind of challenging in that, but um, I had a lot of great experiences in Winnipeg. Um, I got to go support Op Lentis, help sandbagging for floods. Um, so that was really cool. I still found a way to, okay, yes, I'm not necessarily doing something as an engineer, but as a military officer, I'm still finding a way to help people. Then I came to Cold Lake because my husband's also in the military and he was posted out here. And then I got this job working with fighter jets, which at first I'm like, okay, whoa, this is like so far removed from search and rescue. Like I was hesitant joining the military because bombs and guns are kind of not my thing. And now here I am doing operational test and evaluation with um, weapons. So the way I kind of rationalized that was, well, it's all about making sure that we can fly and defend ourselves safely so that if we are in combat and we have to um, use force, we're going to kind of do it where we want and not hurt a school or hurt a hospital. Um, and that was kind of how I saw my job at the time. And then, yeah, and then from there, it just kind of turned into always keeping my eyes open on what's going on in the space field, which is where I wanted to be. Right. And I kind of found through doing this variety of jobs that doing the technical stuff, dealing with design challenges and dealing with new technology is what really got me excited, really made me happy. Um, my last job in the military during operational test and evaluation, I got to do quite a bit of technical stuff compared to what the aerospace engineers um, in the Air Force usually do. And after that job, where part of it involves actually flying in the F-18, um, I just couldn't picture another job in the Air Force that was as cool as that. So that so is that why I'm space robots. Yeah, okay, so then, so now you're out of the military and you're working on these space robots. Yes. Um, this is where I think I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen for a minute. Are you sure. ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, okay. that's what me... I'm working on. Okay, yeah. So um, for everyone watching, we thought it would be fun to show you what Marla is working on exactly. So um, it's this one, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay, so why don't you, do you want me to press play? Do you want to? Yeah, talk? actually, okay. I'll just talk first. So this is, um, it's called OSAM-1, which stands for On Orbiting, On Orbit Servicing and Manufacturing. So um, the whole idea for this mission, uh, it was started years ago, but basically when 
we first started launching like large satellites in the 90s right we put the like sustainability wasn't really thought of we launched them thinking that okay they'll go there they'll do their 20-year mission and then typically what you do at the end of life of satellites is you will have them come back into the earth's atmosphere burn up so it's kind of equivalent of sending like making a really expensive new car filling it filling it up with gas once and then once it runs out of fuel so you need the fuel to be able to deorbit it um then we're just going to get rid of it so now we have lots of these large spacecraft up there that have run out of fuel or they might have a solar panel break and instead of just throwing away these extremely expensive spacecraft we've now come to a point where we can use robotics to either refuel them or repair them and so that's kind of one component of the mission is how do we fix the space junk that's up there so that we, we can reuse it um, and extend its life and then the second component is how can we use robotic technology to build large structures so right now if you're putting something in space you are restricted by the launch vehicle it's right. really expensive to launch things and rockets can only hold um, they can only hold things of a certain size. So the idea here is, okay, what if we send things up and build them in orbit or 3D print them in orbit? So that's what this whole OSAM-1 mission is going to be. Wow. So one part um, is demonstrating that you can do refueling in space in orbit. Um, the second part is showing that we can print out um, like build a structure using 3D printing technology. And then the third part, which SPIDER, which is the name of our robotic arm, is, is showing that we, it's kind of what ties it all together. So it's showing, okay, this is great. We've grown or 3D printed this big structure in space, but now let's build it, let's manipulate it. Um, the idea is there's a big push, as I'm sure lots of folks out there have heard that we want to go back to the moon and we want to go beyond the moon. But right now the, um, the architecture, so to speak, that you need to do that is so big that we can't really build it on earth. So we're looking at ways to build it in space. So this whole mission is to demonstrate that it's possible. And then from there, it, it'll be, uh, okay, now let's make it happen. So first part is refueling the second part and we'll play the video is we're going to build large structures. So the first thing we want to build is an antenna. So you can see our robot is picking up the different pieces of the antenna. Each one of these hexagons is nine meters and it's assembling them in orbit. And they're sent up there kind of flat packed like Ikea furniture. What you see now, this is the maker set and it's growing a 30 meter long beam that our robot then goes and picks up, reinstalls somewhere else on the spacecraft and then kind of places in orbit. So a lot of this, it's cool. It's never been done before. That's why it's a tech demonstrator mission. Um, yeah, so it's just super exciting to be a part of this and to do something that's never been done before. Wow, okay, I'm gonna stop yeah. showing that then. Well, wow, okay. I just think that this is so fascinating. It is. And like, I think it's cool because like coming from working with testing new software or new um, 
weapon systems or gears on F-18. So in the aviation world, you have a very, um, very clear process on how we qualify something to make it safe for flight and useful in flight. Um, and a lot of the way we test things in the space industry, it's similar. We have to go through rounds of qualification testing, of acceptance testing to show that this object that we've made, it's gonna survive in space and it's gonna be useful in space. And unlike down on in aviation, like in aviation, you can go and you can flight test it, um, how you're gonna use it. That's kind of what I did in my old job. Um, but you can't really do that with spacecraft. You make it once, you launch it, you do all the testing you can and you hope it works. And you're trying to test it to mimic the space environment down on earth, but it's not, some things we just have to use our best judgment and um, yeah, engineer and science it out to make sure that we're confident that it will work. So, One of the questions is, um, are you, is there any collaboration with the other governments? Um, it depends on what the project is. So this one's considered a commercial project. So we are um, like we're working with other companies in the States on it. But then for things like like building, I'm working on targets. So things like material selection, we're going to other companies in Canada to see if they have components and nuts and bolts that meet our requirements to build this or we're going to machine shops in Toronto that sometimes they work to aviation standards so that means it's very very high quality if it's safe for aviation and it meets those standards then we can probably make it work for us so for this project because it's commercial um we're not so much working with other like government departments on this project specifically um there's other programs that our company does that uses that would work with like CSA for example or um, Department of National Defense so wow yeah so what is your favorite thing about what you're doing right now like to me this is fascinating it's so it exciting like, where we're going in the future and you get to be part of this like but what, what's your favorite thing about it so I my job involves doing a lot of hands-on testing in the lab um, so we try to build, I mentioned I work with targets, so we try to build targets or build pieces of targets and then we'll go and test them in the lab, see how they work out of, out of under different lighting conditions. So um, this is where we have kind of a little robot in the lab and we found a way to control it to move the target to how our camera would see it. And then we have a big, it's called a sun gun that Basically, if you, you have to put sunscreen on and sunglasses on it because it could burn you. Um, and then we can at least there try and predict how our target and how our system is going to work under different lighting conditions in orbit, for example. So um, being able to kind of exercise what I call technical creativity to try and think of how are we going to test this on Earth to completely uh, mimic how it's going to work in operations. Um, I find that a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's very hands-on. So we have to go in, we have to think about, okay, do we have to build additional ground support equipment to help us test, um, do things like that? So I'm a very hands-on person and I get to do a lot of that. And I think that's one thing since a 
being stuck working at home, like this is my yeah. office and yeah, I can't really do that hands-on stuff as much. So um, yeah, just being able to still do it remotely uh, with my coworkers in Toronto is, I really, really look forward to that. And I'm always trying to like find ways to do another test, but um, yes. Sometimes. So let's talk about that because that's my next yes. question I want to ask. So sure. you're obviously not in your office. Well, so, not your normal office. So what's going on there? Okay. So, well, I started, so I started at MDA in January. Um, my family was still in Cold Lake. So I left my husband and daughter to do that. I came back. Um, yeah. So until my family got posted and moved, my plan was to come back to Cold Lake once a week, every month to see my family. So I came back in March for my daughter's birthday. I was just gonna be for the weekend, but that was, I remember I was in the Toronto airport and that was when I found out that the World Health Organization declared this a pandemic. Um, so yes, I came back in March for a weekend and here I still am in Cold Lake. Um, all of my other coworkers in Toronto, they were all still working remotely. So we do a lot of conference calls like this online. Um, and I, I found, like we, we did our whole design review for Spider over Zoom. And we had people on the line uh, from our sister company in California, from NASA, just all reviewing this design that we haven't even built yet that we're now starting to build um, shortly. And so we're still able to get a lot of work done, but a lot of like the technical discussions, like I would always go walk over to one of my coworkers' desks if I had a question, but it's a lot harder to kind of figure things out like that. Um, but it's been, it's been nice because I think this has been the longest time both my husband and I have both been home because when I was in the military, one of us was on the road. And I think that's um, something we're still a lot together. of yeah we're still together like i don't think i've ever been we've both been home for more than three months like ever so and i think there's a lot of military families who this is kind of one of the benefits of covid is the whole family is actually home stuck in the same house so that's really good and it's been kind of reassuring to a lot of my coworkers, a lot of my male coworkers. they all have young kids as well and Whenever we have conference calls like this, um, I think I've met every single one of my coworkers' kids. And it's been kind of nice seeing that we're all in the same boat challenge, like, and dealing with the challenges of working remotely, doing a full-time home, full-time job, but also having to parent as well. And everyone's kind of finding ways to make it through and being understanding and supportive. So. It's been, yeah, it's actually been awesome. I haven't minded it, but I'm kind of just itching to go back to the lab and do hands-on stuff, so. So when do you think this will be completed? Um, so we are starting hardware builds this summer and then we have a 2023 launch date. So the way it works in the space industry is you're kind of given you're given a date for launch and then you gotta you gotta build it it has to be ready tested good to go for that so yes 2023 that's very fast compared to what i was used to uh working with uh the f-18 yeah yeah and then, and then what do you know what your next step will be once you complete this one yeah so mda it's really diverse in projects and they will 
kind of shuffle people around as needed. So right now we're ramping up for uh, Canada Arm 3 for Lunar Gateway. So we have a team of engineers working on that. That's super exciting. We also have a team that's always um, working with the Canada Arm on the space station, providing technical support for them. So pretty much anytime someone has to use the Canada Arm, someone from MDA is involved doing some of the engineering technical analysis um, involved behind that. Um, we also have a uh, sample fetch rover project going on with the European Space Agency. And yeah, so it depends on what's happening at the time, what stage they're at in the development. And yeah, so I, I really don't know what comes next, but I do know there's a lot of, a lot of my coworkers have been there for 15 to 20 years and they all love what they do because you'll just jump from one project to the next or you'll be on a couple projects at once. So it's always changing. And that was one thing I kind of liked with the military too, is you would do a job, work with one specific aircraft for two years, and then you would get posted and do another job. So you would always have that change to kind of, I don't know, keep things exciting and interesting. So I kind of get to do that as well at uh, MDA. Wow. You know, I think, and kind of moving into our final section, just about, you know, empowering people to, to do things like this. There's so many people that don't realize that this is an option. No, well, I didn't know engineering was a thing in high school until I actually had a teacher say, like, Marla, have you heard of engineering? Like, you're always building stuff and you're like, you're really good at math. You're good at science. Like, you should be an engineer. And then I looked at it and I'm like, yeah, that does sound like me. Okay, sure. And I think there's a lot of, with engineering, um, even in aviation, like there's a lot, like a plane, like a, a technician cannot go and fix an aircraft if an engineer hasn't gone through and figured out the process that that technician needs to do to fix that aircraft. Um, and it even gets into like the nuts, like literally the nuts and bolts of things, like the amount of engineering that goes into just picking what type of metal and what type of bolts you're gonna put on an aircraft or a spacecraft, like that gets into materials engineering. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a huge endless sea of possibilities within engineering of what you can do. Um, yeah, and it's, it's super cool, I think. So I want to be an engineer. I want yes, to choose now. <laughs> Can I come work with you? No. <laughs> Can you um, tour once COVID's over, maybe? Yes. I'll meet you in Ottawa. We're going to do that Ottawa, for sure. Um, okay. Uh, here's a question for you. Sure. For watching. You are likely quite busy, a triathlete, a mom. Oh, yes chair of several committees and managed to maintain, maintain current status for flights and general education. Is there a trick or a secret to maintaining that balance? Oh, that's a good one. I will admit like sometimes I get to a point where I'm like, I have so much going on. I am going crazy. I have maxed out. I am burnt out. So I get to that point. So part of it is learning to say no. I found is super important. Like there's lots of things I want to do, but um, if I go and take on something else, then I can't be with my daughter or I can't, I don't know, be as good at my job or as good at sports. So one is kind of picking what your priority is and focusing on that. 
and then kind of learning to trade off and balance what's important and what isn't at the time. So yeah, I, I used to race triathlon competitively. I've raced at Worlds for triathlon twice, but lately I just haven't been able to, mainly because the pool's closed, the lake's too cold to swim in, and I moved all of my bikes to Ontario. So I don't really have the means to train and I just have to accept that, okay, well, I'm not as fit as I was six months ago, but I can change that. So yeah, I think it's balance and it's kind of gets back to pick, picking and choosing your battles. Um, and those will change over time. So I've done a lot of things at certain points in time, but I'm not doing them all at once. I'm kind of spreading it out and prioritizing in the moment um, what I want to do. So let's talk about goal setting. Like when you set your goals and what's important, like when you're saying you have to kind of evaluate the level of what's important, do you do that once a year? Is that, are you someone that sits down once a year and says, okay, this year, these are my goals? I used to be, but lately it's been, I don't know, it's been kind of tossed aside. So I used to, I'm always, I'm a note taker. I, uh, I like, I have my weekly plan and I will kind of schedule when I'm doing things. I used to have a passion planner. Um, it was like a, an agenda book, but it would kind of walk you through goal setting. So when things weren't crazy and like right now it's kind of a weird transition time. So I just left the military. I moved provinces, uh, new job. Um, I know that, okay, I may not be able to, I want to kind of look after myself before I take on new goals. So I've kind of said, okay, right now my focus is me. It's getting my feet on the ground. Um, and then like, there's things I want to do professionally. I'd love to go back to school, get a master's. I want to get my professional engineering license, but now is not really a good time to do it because I need to deal with all these changes first before I move on. So um, yeah, so goal setting, like when I work with girl guides, we talk about, okay, the SMART rule, you want to pick something that is like measurable, attainable, that's realistic, that's time bound. Um, and it's just knowing, like your goals change over time, and then knowing when to, uh, when to kind of apply that thinking. Mm -hmm. and then just kind of breaking it down so I'm like people at work make fun of me because I still use a notebook and actually like handwrite things because that just makes it stick to me um versus using the computer but yeah I find that for me writing writing it down as soon as you write it down it's real um it's there it's in paper it's in front of you you can check it off you can cross it off you can like stick it on the wall you can't see it but I have a whiteboard over here with what I'm trying to get done and yeah it's just always there in my face so having those in your face reminders um yeah. really helpful I have the same I have two two whiteboards over here which yes. is why the computers turn this way yes. <laughs> you get the, all the lists and everything that are, yes. that are there. yeah very important um I want to read a comment that someone wrote uh it's not a question it's just a comment uh it says um no question uh but just an overall comment in that women can do anything a man can do and even better a simple analogy is that if you are a pilot neither the plane nor the weather knows what you nope. are and doesn't nope. care so i think that women should become whatever they want to be and screw what the public perception is what do yes. you think of that oh man that reminds me of there was an awesome scene in the movie hidden figures 
where uh, Catherine, she's one of the human computers, because when they initially started the space program, it was like women doing math by hand to figure out everything that our computers do now. But she was called into a meeting, and they usually don't have women in the meeting. So she went there, the person that was kind of letting people in and out was said, well, we don't have protocol for women to come in. And her response was, well, we don't have protocol to send men around the moon anyways. And to me, I'm like, that speaks to me because a lot of what we do in the space industry has never been done before. We're kind of making up the rules in a very educated, strategic way as we go. And yeah, just because there's no protocol for women to do something like that should not matter. It, like, and even day to day in my work, um, we're kind of, and I kind of got this way with the military too, is people just don't care. You're there to do a job and you're there to do it well. So gender and differences, they just add because you have different ways of thinking. It's not, nobody points out that I'm the only woman in a meeting. Um, um, sometimes it's noticeable. Like when I first started, um, I was meeting with my, my two other, the two other systems engineers and we get into the meeting room and, and Natalie said, this is the most women. And there's just three of us. She's like, this is the most women I have ever worked with on a project. Um, so like you'll notice it, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Nobody treats you differently because you're female. Um, you just bring a different perspective to the team. So. so what do you think historically, if anything, that we've done wrong to try to attract women into STEM and, you know, including aviation in that? And are we doing it better now or are we, do we still have a long way to go? Um, I like to think that everything needs improvement in some way. Um, I think like one thing when I was working with just fighter pilots, they would often joke, they're like, ah, oh, all they're doing is like promoting the women, but I'm doing just a good as good of a job as her. So I think it's just taking a equal approach and like doing things like all of Elevate's events are open to people of both genders. I think that is, if you want to normalize something, it's you just accept that it's different and you, um, I don't know, you don't maybe overemphasize it, but you still promote it in a way. Um, yeah, with our much. learning center, we, we invite students to come and yeah. tell the teachers, um, you know, it is co-ed, but we want you to fill it, if you can, at least fill it with 50% of the young women, because the young women won't sign up for it. No, it's but true. once yes. they come, they, they go, love it. wow, yeah. And we actually did surveys on everyone, and we said, um, so we had everyone that came through, and we said, do you want a career in aviation now, now that you've been to the learning center? Mm -hmm. And the boys said 77% yes, and the girls were 76% yes. So awesome. basically the exact same. And so we're well, like, that, that kind of reminds me of um, in university with uh, some of my friends. Again, I mentioned there was like a class of 120, only 10 girls, and we were having lunch once. And we kind of came to this realization. There's a lot of men, uh, boys that go into engineering, go into STEM because they're good at math, they're good at science. So they'll apply to something that has the highest average. But every single one of the the women I studied with, we all were passionate about it. If you're going to do something that's not the norm for someone like you to do, you have something that drives you there. So um, yeah, every single one of us had kind of a story of something that 
got us into wanting to study aviation, but not a lot of the men did to kind of this, like every single one of us did, but only a few of the guys did. Um, but all the girls did better in engineering, I think, than the guys because we had that passion that kind of fueled us. Interesting. So <laughs> what advice do you have for people that maybe they, like you, you seem to be, you know, clear on what you want to do right now, but a lot of people, especially during this time in our world, mm -hmm. um, maybe they've lost their jobs and yeah. they have to reevaluate. Um, they don't really know what they want to do right now. Do you have any advice for what, you know, follow your passion or what is the advice you would have for someone still trying to figure out what they really, how to find their passion, right? Like some people don't even know how to find their passion. I think it's just, I don't know, think of what makes you happy or if, what, what do you keep going back to doing? So, um, like I just, I think of my daughter cause kids are kind of, they're pure and they haven't really been sculpted one way or the other, but she will just always go and play with Lego and I will just let her. Um, so if you just kind of reflect on, okay, well, what is it that I always get excited about and get started doing? And it could be something, I don't know, completely random. Like I just really like cooking. Well then go and sign up for a cooking class, just go and do it, I think is. I don't know, biggest advice, which really isn't helpful if you're stuck in a rut, but, or just find something that kind of scares you. So like flying in F-18s was kind of scary for the first time. I thought the pilot was like trying to make me puke, but really he was just flying like how he normally did. Um, but just, just challenging yourself, taking those risks and getting out there and doing it, I think is kind of, if it's scary, then it's good. Wow. Okay, I have to go back to Mars for a second. Are okay. we going to Mars? To Mars? Like people or things? Yeah, people. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't right. know when and I don't know how, but we'll figure it out. We'll be in our lifetime? Oh, definitely. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Are you excited about that? Um, I think it's, I think it's cool just because, I think it's just cool to think of the technology we need to do that doesn't exist yet. So I just think that thought just blows my mind is that all that technology, like we're still developing it. All the technology for Spider, we're also still developing it. It hasn't been built yet. We're still testing it. We're still figuring out what materials we need to make it work. But we just have this uh, passion that drives us. We know that we will make it work somehow. And I think people are kind of special like that. Like if a human has it in their head that they're gonna do something, they're going to do it. And yes. So, so if there's people watching this and they're like, okay, I want to do what she's doing. Uh -huh. uh, where do they, where do they start? How do they go to get more information and what subjects would you suggest they take if they're still in high school? Okay. So math and science and art. So I described engineering, it's technical creativity. You have to be able to kind of think outside the box. Um, even if you're younger, like this is my daughter's ideas book and she'll come up with like super cute things like how we need a second sun to make rainbows when it rains because the clouds block the sun so things like having crazy creative ideas like that like if you're out there sitting like hey we should do this crazy thing or even if you're a writer writing stories um engineering is kind of what takes those crazy ideas like sending people to Mars or having a second son and making it real. 
And the way we make it real is taking science and things that we know and then applying it. So science, math is super important and just being creative. A lot of uh, engineers I went to, or a lot of the engineers I went to school with were really into music, were really into dance and really into the arts. And there's been lots of studies that show that that kind of um, abstract, but like mathematical, logical thinking, that's the same side of your brain. So if you're someone who's like really good at music, you probably have like your brain's already kind of tuned to think like an engineer and to be good at math, even if you've never tried it before. So keep all your options open. Don't, um, I know of people who think creatively, but because of the friend group they were in in high school, they were kind of led away from the math and sciences. And in hindsight, maybe they should have gone and challenged themselves. Don't be afraid to challenge yourself and don't be, a great, don't be afraid to fail and learn from those mistakes that you make. Because um, I find if you go and let's say take math when you've never, um, if you struggle at it and then you are making mistakes in it, you are going to remember how to do it properly from those mistakes you make than if you just got it right the first time because you're putting more effort into learning it. And I think that will make you in the end um, better when it comes to actually using those skills and that knowledge in real life. I love that. Sometimes you have to put your ego aside a little bit, right? Like when you're making yeah. this mistake and, and rather than giving up, just. Yeah. And like learning to fail beautifully and gracefully is really, uh, it's kind of like counterintuitive. Like doing something right the first time is satisfying. And then I find, okay, if you do it wrong the first time, but you're able to pull yourself up from that and um, learn from it, that's also just as satisfying, if not more. Wow. That is great advice because I know, I know people, kids, I see them, you know, and they try and they fail and they're like, I'm not doing this anymore. It's like, no, yeah, no. it's back to can't is a swear word. So don't say can't. can't. Okay. So that's our biggest lesson out of here. I think that <laughs> uh, can't is a swear word. So I think we should all take that away with us. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to use that around here. Um, except when I use it, when I can't do the dishes, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I can't do those three now I'm busy but no no I love that yeah I love that can't is a swear word and uh, I just can't believe um what you're working on I think it's it's incredible it's so incredible to see your passion for it it's beautiful to see your passion Thanks. working on this and to be at the forefront of leading us um as earth <laughs> leading us as humans into space humans right That's absolutely incredible so i can't thank you enough for being here i look forward to um talking to you more about the documentary and, and following you around a little bit maybe with some cameras Ooh, and, oh yes and, uh, yeah seeing seeing this whole project come together and uh and seeing it when it's done i'm coming mm -hmm. yeah um so thank you so much for being here thanks for having me Thank you. I thank you everyone who is watching today. Thank you so much for being here as well. I hope that you were inspired by Marla. Uh, I hope you all take Kent as a swear word away with you. Um, so uh, join us next week, next Wednesday, same time, same place. Uh, please um, 
check out our social media, follow us, and you can see what we're up to. We are planning our cross-country tour for next year, for March. Uh, we do have lots of mentors just waiting to talk to people and encourage them into their careers, people like Marla. And so um, check us out at elevateaviation.ca. And if you want more information about our online learning center when it is ready, uh, you can contact us and go on a wait list so you can have early access to it when we do get it ready to go. So thank you so much for being here. We will see you next week. And again, Marla, thank you so much. I really appreciated your time today. Thanks, Kendra. Okay, we will talk to you again. Okay, bye. Okay, thanks, see you later. Bye.